Hello, everyone. Welcome back to I See What You're Saying, the Discipline Listening Podcast. I'm Michael Reddington, and today it gives me great pleasure to introduce our next guest, Gail Davis. Gail is the founder of Gail Davis and Associates. She's an event strategist, and her and her team specialize in keynote speaker selection. For 25 years, Gail and her team have been partnering with organizations to understand exactly what they need their teams to learn and feel throughout the course of any event, and then partnering them with fantastic speakers to deliver those outcomes. And I'm really excited to share this conversation because she has so many pearls of wisdom to share over the entire scope of her business. She's going to start by talking about how listening is perhaps an unexpected skill of great speakers and go into detail on what it takes to be a great speaker, not just on the stage, but off the stage as well. She'll talk about lessons that she's learned from organizations that she's worked with and how she's learned to connect with organizations and help understand what they're really trying to create with their events and how to select the perfect speaker to pair for that event. She's going to talk about how she built her own culture in her organization, the lessons that she's learned for her team and how and why her team feels so comfortable bringing those lessons to her or those ideas to her. And she's even going to leave us with some ideas and tips for new speakers who are looking to break into the industry as well. All of that and so much more in this conversation. And I really appreciate all of you for taking the time to be here and listen to it with us today. Thank you. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors before we go any further. First, we have Humantel. Please head over to humantel.com, read all their research, read their articles, check out their online training, and then decide which training program is best for you that satisfies your need and interest in understanding how to identify when people's emotions are changing, what they're most likely feeling in the context of the situation, all by accurately identifying their facial expressions and body language for identifications of shifting emotion. I've taken their training. I vouch for it all. I highly recommend it. In fact, enter the code in of 25 for 25% off all of their online training. That's over at humantel.com. Please check out the International Association of Interviewers over at certifiedinterviewer.com. That's where you can see all of the member benefits and opportunities for joining the organization. Their educational calendar is there, virtual and in-person. Their networking opportunities are there. Their research that they have is there. That's also where you can dive into the Certified Forensic Interviewer Program, learn more about what it takes to qualify, to sit for, pass the exam, and maintain the designation. All of that and more at certifiedinterviewer.com for the International Association of Interviewers. And finally, please check out Inquasive at Inquasive.com. And that's where you can learn so much more about the customized programs that we facilitate for our clients when they ask us to work with their leadership teams, their sales teams, or their HR teams to teach them the strategic observation and persuasion skills necessary to encourage people to share sensitive information under vulnerable circumstances in the face of consequences. All those details are available at Inquasive.com. Thank you all again so much for being here today. Gail, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom in this conversation. So without further ado, I introduce to you, Gail Davis. Good morning, Gail. It is so great to see you. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Michael. I've really been looking forward to it. Well, I appreciate it. So for people who may not know, you run your own speaker agency. If I'm not using the right words, cut me off. As I was starting to say that out loud, I was like, wait a minute, is there another term I should be using here? (laughs) But you and your team essentially find expert speakers and pair them with organizations who are looking to be educated and entertained for a wide variety of events. That is my elevator pitch. You've got it down perfect. Some people refer to my type of business is a speaker's bureau, but okay. I think speaker agency perhaps is a little bit easier to understand, but both terms work. Well, thank you for letting me off the hook with that one. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so for the first question, because you've been doing this and been doing this for so long with so many top flight speakers, probably the first question I would love to ask you to try to help some people out on the listening side would be, what do you think? look for in a great speaker? What makes a speaker stand out to you at saying this man or this woman is a fantastic at their job? Well, it's funny because it's it's a key word, which is the opposite of speak, and that is listen. So um, I really do love a speaker that will listen to what we're asking for on behalf of the client, 
if we have a pre-booking call, a speaker that will listen to what the client is really looking for, I, I feel that that's critical. And I feel a great speaker will be the first person to raise their hand and say, you know what, I'm not a fit for this. And I try to work with people that would do that. So I think listening is super important. Being available. Uh, I'm not on a short, at a short or, you know, I, I don't have a problem with speakers reaching out to me all the time, wanting my attention. What I do need is a speaker to be available when I'm trying to negotiate a contract or solve a problem or get some marketing approved. So availability is good. Plus, the way my team sells is very much a partnership. So if I'm talking to a client in a certain vertical and I think a speaker is a fit, when I reach out to the speaker and say, hey, do you have experience in this area? And they come back to me quickly. It only strengthens my recommendation of that particular speaker. And then as a former event planner, so I worked for a large corporation doing large scale events for 20 years. I really appreciate a speaker who is flexible on site. You can't always control exactly what time the meeting starts. You can't always control how long the CEO speaks. And oftentimes, an event planner is under a tremendous amount of pressure to tighten up the agenda. So they might say, hey, I know you had 60 minutes, but can you do it in 50? I want a speaker that's going to say, sure, no problem. Um, or maybe they'll say, oh my gosh, the whole morning has been haywire. Is there any way we could do our break first and then kick off with you? And I do understand speakers have other obligations and there's times when they can't provide that flexibility, but I think it goes a long way to building your professional reputation if you can demonstrate flexibility on site. I think those are all great points. It's helpful to understand that we're there to enhance somebody else's events. Like the event isn't necessarily all about us. Uh, <laughs> and for those of us that go out there and do take the stage, it can be really easy if we're not careful to get lost in our own thing, our own routine, what we want to do without realizing that there are hundreds of other people in the room potentially with other priorities or concerns. You know, another example of flexibility on site, and I've experienced this firsthand. When it's, let's say it's a day-long event and some speaker's flight got delayed and you're already on site and they're like, can we do a switcheroo? And just, oh man, those can save the day. You you will become a legend at that corporation if you can help accommodate um, and problem solve through your flexibility. And hopefully for most of the those people out there speaking, those are easy decisions to make in the moment. Like should be. You're, you're here. Let's do the right thing. Um, I think for a lot of times when people, cause I'll get asked, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to start speaking or I'm, I'm trying to go out there and get gigs or events. The, I'll get two questions. One is how do I do that? And I don't know that I'm the best guy to ask that too, but I'll, I'll give them the few ideas that I have. And the second is what should I really focus on when it comes to connecting with an audience? So I'd love to start with that one from for you. When you think about speakers really engaging with an audience, where do you feel like would be the starting points or the focus points to really work on that aspect of delivering a message? I would say 90% of the time we facilitate a pre-event call. And in that pre-event call, it's your opportunity, again, to listen, to ask questions, and to understand, why did you hire a speaker? Why are you having this meeting? If you had a magic wand, what is the desired outcome? What challenges or concerns are the folks in this audience dealing with? So taking advantage and really trying to, they picked you for a reason. But now, how do you just ever so slightly apply your message to this client at this moment in this situation? I think that's really important. Also, I'm a huge believer of getting there to the event venue as soon as possible. I am going to leave Sunday to be on site for a multi-day event that I go to every year. And I have, I think, four or five speakers there. And most of them are arriving in advance of their slot on the stage. And they ask during the pre-event call, can I come hear the speaker in front of me? Can I come to the welcome reception? 
So they're there on site, getting the vibe, talking to people. And I think that is a difference maker for sure. For certain. And it's also another opportunity to weave in something else you said to listen. Yeah. When you're, you're picking up the vibe, but you're also listening to conversation and somebody just, if it's for sales and somebody's talking about a customer interaction that they recently had, either bragging about a good one or maybe talking about a tough one, or if you're there for leadership development or culture and you hear a manager or somebody talking about dealing with an employee, like you don't have to memorize the whole story. No, no. Yeah. If you can register like three things from that, and then when you're on stage, find a way to weave that in somewhere. It, it changes how the whole thing feels. Yeah, it's sensitivity, it's empathy, it's connection. You know, it's context. You know, uh, you can just pick up on something so subtle and go, I'm not going to tell that story. Or you know what? I'm going to lean into that story. And uh, yeah, there are a number of speakers that I can probably give their talk for them because it never changes. It's always the same <laughs> joke, the same laugh. And actually one that's in my mind right now is an outstanding speaker. And it kind of works with this topic, but most speakers need to slightly modify. I would agree. And I feel like from an audience perspective, I've seen some of those and it almost feels like they're standing on their mark. Like they take mm. three steps yeah. to the left. One, two, three, four, five. Now they take yeah. seven steps to the right. Yeah. And like the hands in the pocket and the other hands out. Like it literally yeah. almost feels like they've rehearsed this to the point where it's the, just make me feel like it's for me. Yeah, I got to. Uh, I feel like in, in that those are so, such great points because I feel like so much of the conversation goes to like, don't say I'm an er, which we, you know, we don't want to do. But if you get asked a question in the middle of a speech and you're starting to think about your answer, you might say, um, or er. So if mm -hmm. it's not dominating your conversation, great. But to say it once in a while, you know, we probably shouldn't go into a tailspin over that would be my yeah. opinion. <laughs> uh, but I think a lot of them really focus on that or they focus on, you know, our body language and those types of things. And, and I, they're all valuable. I would love your opinion on this. And I didn't ask you this prior to the call. So fire away and disagree with me as vehemently as you would like. I feel like in so many ways, the content really become the ability to tie the content to the audience becomes maybe the most important thing. And that if a speaker yeah. is doing a great job tying the right content to the right audience, then a lot of these other things, the ums, the errs, whatever, get forgiven or if they're even noticed at all because the content is being related to the audience in the way that they need. I will agree with you. I think content is key. It's the most important thing. And you you can get away with a few little not so polished speaking techniques. But at the end of the day, it's your craft. So I think it really needs to be both, to be totally honest with you. I think you need to have great content. You need to customize it for the audience. And you need to, you know, I think in one of your previous podcasts, uh, the tip from the guest was to record yourself. Um, yes. Tim Sanders is a speaker that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And I know for years he's been putting his phone on the stage and recording the presentation. And he goes back and he watches it and he's like, oh, my gosh, why did I go off on that tangent? Why did I say that? I wasn't really connecting. I mean, he's constantly, um, what do you want to say, debriefing his presentations mm -hmm. and trying to improve his craft. So I think they're both important. Uh, but you could be an excellent presenter and have lousy content and you won't, probably won't go anywhere. So content might weigh more, but they're both important. Uh, that's a fantastic point. And him recording himself on stage is a tremendous idea. It's often we are our harshest critics, which might make us not want to do something like that. <laughs> Hand up, confess maybe once or yeah. twice. Um but we can ask people for feedback. And sometimes depending on that individual, whether it was the client, whether it's somebody on your staff, if it's a speaker that works for you or you place them at the event, depending on the relationship or the individual, who knows how honest they'll be with that feedback. Yeah, I'm, They're probably not going to lie, but are they going to be as critical as we need them to, to make those incremental improvements? And, um, and I, I think that's the benefit of having a bureau partnership because hopefully the client will lay it out for us and tell us, you know, hey, this was great. This was great. This just didn't land. And 
one of the responsibilities I take extremely seriously is to let a speaker know feedback. Now, if I have a fault over the years, it's probably that I'm not always great about following up to say, they loved you, they loved you, they loved you, because we've got so much volume going on that, that I don't prioritize that as much. But if ever, and it is rare, but if ever I get feedback that is negative about a speaker, that I know that if I give them that feedback, they can make a tweak and improve, I really prioritize that. And um, I just feel that's my responsibility. If I'm hearing it from the client, to your point, maybe no one's ever told that speaker, hey, you need to be aware of this. And so I try to really always prioritize that. And then I prioritize my future with that speaker based on how that conversation goes. And fortunately, 90% of the time, it's like, thank you. I had no idea. Oh, you know what? That was a bad day for me. I'm surprised it's not worse because speakers are human, you know? So sometimes they do have an off day. But I'm not really keen on working with somebody that wants to challenge me on the perception of the client. I mean, perception is reality. So if that's how they perceived you, It's feedback. And I want someone that's going to listen to that feedback and do with it what feels appropriate, but not challenge me. That's not why I'm making the call to help. And I am genuinely following up so that the speaker has all the information. Of course. And sometimes the most important feedback feels the worst the moment we receive it. So if we don't take some time to sit with it and think it through and replay it in our mind, maybe the way we remember it isn't exactly the way it went down. And when we think through the feedback, oh, maybe it did happen a little bit differently than I remembered. And those are important adjustments. Um, But that combination of recording and feedback, I really feel like is critical. And when I think back even to my interrogation career, I was very lucky to work for an organ, two organizations in a row that made us record our interrogations and then sat and gave us feedback on them. So, and especially when I work for WZ, you know, I've got the founder of the company and the creator of the technique sitting next to me after what I felt like was probably a great interrogation. And every time he hits the pause button, I'm just like, oh no, here it comes again. Here it comes again. But the improvement that we all saw on the team from going through that process made it worth it every single time. You just gave me a good idea. I just made a note for something to do with my team. I love it. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, I would love to ask you about different personalities in speaker positions. I feel like the overwhelming assumption is people that go out and speak for a living are extroverted and they're gregarious and all of these things. And for me personally, I feel like I can be pretty outgoing when I'm on the stage and talking about something that I'm passionate about or that I know a lot about and with an audience that's interested in it. But at like the pre or post event networking, I might be kind of quiet over by the bar, clutching my Guinness with both hands and talking to the one person I'm most comfortable with because the setting is different. So I'm curious from your experience, are there opportunities or even concerns if it goes the other way that you've seen with people with different personalities still being successful on stage in educating clients? I I think it's a really good observation, and I think it's part of the value that as a bureau partner, we bring to the client. So I can think of two examples that are just jumping out to me so prominent, and I I don't want to use the names, but one is a speaker that's under $15,000, okay? So he's not a name. Uh, We have booked him over 200 times. He is phenomenal from the stage, but I would say he's a bit of an introvert. So I find that really important for me to share with the client. Like he's going to kill it on stage. He's going to, I mean, he's going to be so engaged with that audience. You won't even know what happened, but when you meet him beforehand, he's more of an introvert. Don't let that concern you. If I don't, what the issue might be, Michael, is if I didn't set that up, And they're counting on this person to do all these things I've said, you know, just I I can because I was actually (laughs) once on site and I was reading the client's face over a lunch. I know they were thinking, what? How is this guy going to do this? But he's just more of an introvert. So part of our value is to kind of set that up. Locally, we are on site 
whenever we possibly can be. So if I were on site with this particular speaker, you probably wouldn't notice that about him because I am an extrovert. So I would be doing the introducing and it would be more comfortable. I can think of another example of a very, very well-known, I would go on, almost say celebrity type speaker who um, I remember once, again, I don't want to say the name, but I remember once being with her on site and it was one of these deals where it was supposed to be a reception and then a dinner and then the speaker. And once again, as I alluded to earlier, the timing was off a little bit. And the event was in the hotel where this particular speaker was staying. And we were kind of just doing a whole bunch of chit small talk, chit chat, mm-hmm. small talk in sort of a cocktail reception. Of course, I am in my element. I'm having so much fun. But she pulls me aside and she said, do I have to be here? And not, not in a, not in a negative way, in a genuine way, in a genuine way. And I was like, what? And she said, this is, I am an introvert. This stuff drains me and I want to bring it to the stage. If there's any way that I could sneak out of here, go up to my room, go through my talk and get, you know, final things, maybe just have a bowl of soup upstairs. And then you text me when they're ready for me. That would be ideal. That's what we did. I mean, they're still talking about her. She was phenomenal. And that, you know, is where bureaus provide value. The fact that I know that and someone might spend that kind of money, but I can give them that insight and really know what I'm talking about, um, that strengthens our relationship. And then to your point, you can't assume because someone is a public speaker that they're an extrovert. And you shouldn't think that because someone is an introvert that they're not going to do well on stage. It's a complicated, not it's not complicated. Actually, it's quite simple. Both introverts and extroverts can kill it on stage. But one of the things I often want to understand from a client is what do you need on site? If they're looking for a schmoozer and they're looking for somebody that's just going to really engage with the C-suite, it's important to know because you might recommend somebody over another person, or at least say, I stand behind this solid recommendation, but that's the one thing that's not going to come that easy. All great points. And hopefully people who book speakers or watch speakers a lot heard that (laughs) (laughs) because I I mean, selfishly for me, I, I don't feel like I have a problem like being in a room, especially pre or post event, but sometimes you end up in that kind of networking scenario. And I feel like People are expecting so much more. I know. Well, they do. I'll have a conversation with you, but uh, they just get, talk to me after. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's the thing that is something that personally I try to really watch out for um, is if you have a speaker that has a big story that they're going to tell on stage, um, Nando Parado, I started my company because of Nando. Nando is the hero of the 1972 plane crash in the Andes Mountains. I really don't like to do pre-event dinners with him unless I'm present to control the conversation. I don't like doing pre-event meet and greets because he's going to go on stage in 20 minutes and tell you the story from start to finish. So it doesn't make sense in a small one-on-one conversation to tell the story 15 times and then go on stage and not remember, was I talking to that person or was it here? You know, so if I'm there, I can kind of, I can kind of insert myself and say, oh, he's going to tell the whole story in a minute, but let's talk about blah blah So, but I think that's really a valid point. Well, then that's a great point too, because people are going to be excited to meet him or meet mm-hmm. others. And so they want to start diving into it now. And I get it because it's like, I'm getting my own intimate experience with this individual, which is great, but let's make it about something else. Yes. <laughs> it can and be related. But let's uh, make it about something else. And then I love the questions afterwards because then, you know, they're they're much more thoughtful, I think. I heard sure, you say this, actually you elaborate. Yeah. Yes, great point, great point. Yeah, again, my bias, and I would love your thoughts on this. I think it's important for people in the, those roles to be themselves. Mm-hmm. There was, Absolutely. Uh, 
when I worked for the interrogation company, I think there were five of us at the time that were traveling, doing all the teaching. And we brought over a guy who's a great guy from England. And the goal was he was going to spend the summer with us. He was going to travel every week. We're going to teach him up. He'd go back to England. He'd teach everything in England and we wouldn't have to go there anymore. Hmm. Well, the five of us that he's traveling with all have very unique personalities and I'm getting him like every three weeks or whatever it is. And when he's on the road with me and I'm in the back taking notes, I can watch him emulating Wayne and emulating Chris and emulating Brett. And I'm looking for him, like, show me you. Uh-huh. But unfortunately, he's emulating four or five different people in the same conversation. And I feel like his like true personality never made it out. And so, you know, whether you're introverted, whether you're extroverted, whether you like to make jokes or whether you're a little bit dry and more factual based, hone your craft, have great content and be yourself. Yeah. Authenticity wins every time. So earlier you were talking about the clients and having to either maybe fly cover for one of your speakers or do the (laughs) introduction. Um, I'm sure there have been times where a client calls in, they've got a certain event, a certain audience, and maybe they think they want a specific speaker or a specific topic. And based on your expertise and your team's expertise, your bells start going off that there might be a different speaker or a different topic that would be a better fit for that event. I'm imagining by the time the event coordinator or whoever's been charged to call you has called you, maybe they themselves or whoever is calling the shots have already made up their minds. And now your team has to rely on your expertise to persuade them to make a different decision. That's actually a pretty high stakes negotiation within a negotiation. I would imagine. So, from a persuasion and negotiation standpoint, how have you and your team been very successful in helping someone who's convinced they have a great idea realize that there's a better idea? Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And it goes back to what we started our conversation here today with, and that is the skill of listening. So typical scenarios, the person calls and they say, we need a speaker on AI. Well, a really good question is, what aspect of AI are you interested in? Because there's gen AI, there's AI as it relates to uh, intellectual property. I mean, there it, that's a broad category, like cybersecurity and AI. I mean, there's so many topics. So can you be more specific? What is it about that topic that you're interested in? And then I think take a step back from the topic and even maybe take a step back from the specific speaker they're requesting and put some context if it's a first-time client. Now, long-term clients, this step is not necessary. But first-time client, so context, how important is a pre-event call with the speaker? How important is it for them to be on the call versus a member of their staff? Um. What is your timeline and expectation for approving marketing materials? Because I've seen a deal go sour when they have the right speaker, they've got beautiful marketing, but it's taking five days to get it approved and everybody gets really upset and nervous. So knowing that in advance and level setting, um, what extras do you expect on site? Because some speakers will do the extras and some speakers won't. Uh, Do you require social media as a part of this speaker's attendance on site? Um, Do you need a pre-event like little promo video filmed off of the iPhone? Really understanding that and then taking our experience and going, check, 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 check. Oh my gosh, I've got the perfect person. Or, okay, I really like this person, but let's be, let's go into this eyes wide open. Here's two things that probably aren't going to happen, but I still believe it's the right person. And I do think once you start to understand all the requirements and why they're picking that topic, sometimes you can end up saying, have you considered this? So it's a game of finesse. It's a game of asking the right questions, listening, and you know, we're pretty high touch here and very relational. So it's not volume. Like I, I would never be the person that, you know, gets a web lead and just, we we send out a response to say, you're ready to get a contract. That, that is not who we are. Like if I, when I review every day, the sales checklist, 
If I see a bunch of email and I don't see a phone call, you can rest assured that I'm asking. Now, some people don't want to talk on the phone and then my team can't really do anything about it. But my strong preference is that we get on the phone or we get on a Zoom and we really understand and build rapport to increase our chances for success. That's a great point. Again, it increases the context of the conversation. And with somebody who has as much experience as you do and as much experience as your team does, that context makes a really big deal. Some place where somebody pauses, some place where somebody goes, well, some place, oh, matter of fact, I hadn't thought of that. Or now that yes. you mentioned like, yeah. like those little things open up really big doors that if we were just emailing, we would never get. Or if I had just never made yet. up my mind before the call, well, I'm going to give them Smith for this event. And I'm just going to try to bulldoze through that. You, just, you don't end up with the same outcome. I, I personally think it's even true, like, Thank God from the pandemic that we got Zoom calls and we can have face-to-face interaction without being in the same room. But I even think given the choice between a Zoom call or literally sitting across the table, you know, I love in person. I'm old school. I love in person. I'm with you on that one. This is a nice <laughs> compromise. It, it certainly helps. I'm saying this. Some people might be listening to this conversation yeah. or not watching it. We can see each other while we're talking if, if people are just listening to it. It's a nice compromise, uh, but there's nothing that replaces being across the table from each other. Actually, if you're good at picking up on social cues and nuances, you know, how many times are they picking up their phone? Like I can pick up my phone five times to see what time it is on this Zoom call. And hopefully with the right skill sets, you wouldn't know. But if you were sitting across <laughs> the, the conference tape, which I'm not, by the way, because I'm loving it. No but um, <laughs> if you were sitting across the table from me, you would see that. Or if I'm constantly looking at my watch or, you know, I mean, read the room. You can tell when, when you're not landing. Yeah. And I think it's easier to do on Zoom than it is a call. And it's easier to do in person than it is on a Zoom, which is why it's exactly why public speaking in person came back after the pandemic. It's cheaper to do virtual calls 100%, but there's nothing like the in-person experience. And I believe that's true for all communication. I I couldn't argue that if I was paid to argue it. I I don't think I could argue it. The first, we're in what, 2024 now, so probably 2022, I was on a call with a group of speakers and one woman, who I'm assuming has a great business, adamantly was like, I am never going back to in-person. I am only doing virtual events. I'm not speaking in person anymore. Now, I don't know what her life situation is and if there's travel difficulties, so pardon me for any perceived judgment. But putting that aside... I don't, why would somebody make that decision? Like go it, just little things. Like you talk about building the relationship from how you shake somebody's hand to holding the door for how you thank them for introducing you to all these little things little that start things. making a huge difference with how you make somebody feel, which at the end of the day is all we're doing is how do you make somebody feel? That's great. I love it. So your staff, I know, is out yes. there. We couldn't fit everybody on a call, but I, I know your staff is out there working with clients every day around the country and beyond. And I'm mm-hmm. sure through their experiences, they've brought great ideas back to you. And I'm not asking you to give away any secrets or, or anything like that. <laughs> From a business ownership and leadership standpoint, I've worked with individuals that love getting input from their team. And I've worked with other individuals that I'm sitting in this chair at this table and you all will do, as I say. <laughs> from the brief interactions we've had before, I think I'm on a very safe limb when I say that's not you. So <laughs> I'm curious. And again, I don't want you to give away any like state secrets or industry competitive secrets or anything like that. But I'm confident that there's been times where somebody from your team came back from an experience and said, we should start doing this, or I learned this. So the uh, several questions down this train of thought, but the first one I would have is, what have you done to create that environment within your team? Because just having spoken with a few of them, I'm pretty confident that those conversations are not unique in your office. We just did an exercise. What day was that? I think it was uh, Wednesday of this week. I believe we had our annual kickoff meeting. And um, when I was thinking about it and planning it, you know, GDA will be 25 years old in May. So congratulations. I was thinking about this team and 
You know, how do we soar in 24? You know, what is it? And I worked with a business coach for many years. And she always had this expression. If I would say, I'm so frustrated by this, she would say, frustration is nothing but unmet expectations. So I was thinking about that. So I created an exercise and I was winging it. I had 17 minutes to pull it off because we're really trying to be timely this year. But I'd given a lot of thought to what am I committed to at GDA? What is my agreement to this team? What can they count on me for? And then I had given a lot of thought to what do I expect from them? Then it hit me, this is a two-way street. So without any warning, except for uh, Karis, who was a part of this brainchild, I, in the annual kickoff meeting, asked everybody, and I said, this is a jumping off point. I'm catching you off guard. I want you to continue to think about this after this meeting, this week, next week. But what is, what is your agreement to GDA? What is your commitment? What can people around this table look to you to be committed to? And I said, it might be one thing. It might be two or three bullets. It might be something you need to think about, but what is it? And so I waited a few minutes and then I said, okay, next question. What is your expectation of GDA? Again, big picture, broad topic, couple of bullets. And people kind of stopped writing and I'm looking at the clock, like nine minutes and 22 seconds. And I said, does anybody want to share? And it was such a great conversation because people really are able to think on their feet and they actually know what they want. They know what they're committed to. And when people can articulate their commitment, And when you can look them in the eye and they say, this is what I'm committed to, then you have an agreement. And then the people brought forth their expectations and there wasn't anything unreasonable. So with each person, I was able to say, you can count on me for that. And then, of course, at the end, what I wanted to do was paint the picture that, you know, I always pay you on time. I always fund this. I always fund that. You know, I provide this support. I provide that support. And what I expect is for you to do your best job. I think it's the best kickoff meeting I've had in 25 years because it was so clear. And, you know, when you, your whole thing, Michael, is about communications and um, clear is kind. I mean, that's a Brene Brown line. I wish I could take credit for it, but it's Brene. But (laughs) clear is kind. And it took me a long time to realize that people just want to know what you expect and and people can make requests and you can say, I hear you, but can't do that. Clear is kind. So to answer, I hope this is answering your question. Um, You've been I, answering the question. Okay. I think just having an environment where we can talk that way. And you know, the thing I have to watch out for, and I haven't always done it right, for whatever reason, I never set out and said, I'm going to start a company and I'm only going to hire women. I never did. And I have had male employees and we work with tons of male speakers and we contract with a lot of male partners, but we tend to end up with a a female group. And so the good news is, you know, we're all women, we're all friendly and all that's great, but we have to really be careful to remember this is a job and it is a business and it is a profession. And so This was a great conversation just to remind us of those things so that we don't let lines blur and we don't let situations come up that aren't productive for what we're trying to accomplish here. So um, just talking about it, I think that's, that's how you create that environment. And then on the, you have the environment and then what lessons have I learned? I'll tell you the biggest thing I've learned from my team. There's two really that jump in my mind. But one is that I need to slow down. But also what I try to tell them is my job is to come up with ideas. So I come up with ideas and then they remind me that we can't do 957 things today. (laughs) Well, that's not my expectation. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I like. So uh, I kind of only know one gear, which is go. And I think I've learned from my team to slow down and do it right. So that... That 
you know, and it's, they're going to have to keep teaching me that because I'm always going to think, let's do it now. Let's go, 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 go. And sometimes you have to slow down. So I rely on people to help me slow down. What was the other thing that I was thinking? Oh, I, I know one big thing. Sometimes I'll make wide sweeping comments that they just aren't right. And so they call me out on that. So one of my wide sweeping comments over the years is, I only want to book high priority speakers. So years ago, I did a triage where we labeled a speaker like yourself, high priority. How are you labeled high priority? It means you have a booking history with us and we got positive feedback and you meet our economic model. In other words, if your fee was $500, we probably would not be booking you because as you know, we get paid a percentage and that probably wouldn't keep the lights on. So I might say something like, I only want to book high priority speakers. But the team has helped me to realize that's great. But when your client wants something new, we also have to be able to provide new options. So that's where radar speakers come from. And those are speakers that we really try to keep a tight count on, but people that we know have a best-selling book or we know we've lost business to them or they've been highly recommended by a client or by a speaker. And so that balance and, and, and realizing, not only did they help me realize we have to look at these high-priority speakers, but over time I started to realize that just because a person was a high-priority speaker in 2003, they might not be relevant in 2023. And so, um, you know, a fresh voice you can learn a lot from. And they keep me young. I mean, yeah. I've been doing this for a long time, but by having young people with young ideas and and sometimes my wisdom is better than their fresh idea, but sometimes I have to step back and go, hmm, there might be something here. So I think it's a nice balance. I like that. I was interviewing, um, well, it will be out. Yours is going to come out shortly after his, um, but the global chairman of YPO I had on just oh. a couple of days ago, um, um, he was talking about the 5% rule that no matter how you might not, I'm trying to use the right words. You might not agree with somebody, their point of view, their history, where they come from, but there's a really strong likelihood that a minimum of 5% of what they're going to say has value. So how are we trying to balance a person who like, I used to work with a guy who would say, this might not be the best thing to say in 2023, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I said it the other day. I said it the other day. <laughs> it just paints a visual image. I mean, I it agree. Does. It does, but they like, separate the message from the speaker. Like, And even if you have to sit yeah. with it and get back to it, it's a, it's a great way to be. Um, speaking of speakers, and, and you just mentioned the high priority speakers as, as well as the radar speakers. You've worked with so many for so long, and this is a communications podcast. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask, what are some of the great communication lessons that you've learned from speakers you've worked with over the years? Storytelling, you know, having an arc, like pulling people in, taking them on a journey and then bringing it home. I mean, it's really pretty basic. I mean, I think I won the 4-H speech contest in fourth grade, and I'm pretty sure that was basically the format. <laughs> so, uh, and keeping it fresh, I think. Um, you know, we had a speaker recently, and I was actually a client. Right, try to wrap your head around that one. So I'm a member of Entrepreneur Organization, yep. and uh, I'm the learning chair for EO Dallas. And so we brought a speaker in. I'm bringing speakers in every month. I'm one of our colleagues' favorite clients. But um, <laughs> I was caught in the middle of this situation that happens a lot, which is the event planner for EO was working with the AV team and wanted the slides in advance. And the speaker didn't want to give the slides until the last minute. And so... At first, I was like, come on, let's get those slides. But you know what? He wants to keep it fresh. And he was amazing. And he's not a newbie. And he doesn't need a big AV check. And it all worked without a flaw. And part of his magic is that he had slides in there that the news event might have happened at 520 before our 7 p.m. event. So 
you know, being able to articulate why you won't do what a client wants. Because he was in my office and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, she wants the slides. Why can't we get them? And he said, because I want it to be fresh. I want it to be best. And the funny thing is there might have been about six people who had seen him earlier in the year at an event we were at in Cape Town. And they all came up to me and went, oh my gosh, he was so much better. You know, uh, it was so current. It was so fresh. It was none of the same thing. So uh, being able to tell a story, being able to read the audience, read the audience, read the room, read the audience, shift. You know, that's one thing he did that night. I remember because I was sitting right by where he was talking and he's reading the room, he's reading the clock. And at some point he's like, we're going to go right past these slides. And sometimes that'll work against you as a speaker because then everyone's like, well, what are we missing? But, you know, I think, uh, I think those are just some of the communications techniques that I've seen that work well. And, and when you can accurately read the room, if it's just a random, well, you know, we're going to have to skip past these slides. Well, did you put too much content in, which is a sin I may or may not have been guilty of before. Oh, no, not um, you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you lost track of time or did you not, were you not prepared? But if you get three or four questions on one topic yes, and you've got 15 minutes left and you want to get to that topic because it's clearly what the room is wanting at this moment. Well then give the audience what they want. Give them what they want. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's a great point. Um, when you were talking about reading the room, I think that phrase gets thrown around so much. And a lot of it can, I guess, go back to the simple like nonverbals. Are people paying attention? Are they not paying attention? Are they smiling? Are they taking notes? Did they laugh when you wanted them to laugh? Um, and I have probably examples that no one else would care about. But Tom Draw, I told a joke that I thought would be hysterical and nobody laughed. I'm like, oh, okay. And then five minutes later, I make an offhand comment and everyone starts laughing. And I'm like, where the hell were you? Yeah. <laughs> to go <laughs> like that wasn't supposed to be funny clearly i don't understand humor um but I, last year i spoke in an event and there was a gentleman sitting to my right who genuinely looked displeased for a portion of the program and then he kind of got up and stood in the back arms crossed leaning up against the door and then he came back in and sat down he asked me one question at the end and the question was fine um but of all, like if I had to rank all the people in the room and how I thought they felt about the presentation, he probably would have ranked to the bottom. And there's always going to be one, like no harm, no foul. You just keep moving. By the time my plan landed the next day, he had posted a fantastic review on LinkedIn. And other than introducing myself and shaking his hand when he walked in the room and answering his one question, we had no interaction. So Sometimes people might look like they're into it and they are. Sometimes people might not look like they're into it and they are. So I'm just curious from your perspective, when it comes to reading the room, other than the, you know, are they taking notes and are they smiling? Are, are there other cues that you look for or feedback that you're, especially if you're on site, feedback that you're trying to get while the speaker is on stage that might be helpful for the rest of us to know, understand, or implement? Yes. So while it's tempting to sit on the front row and hang on every word, that's not where I collect my best data. Best, best observations are back row or better yet in the um, AV booth up on the riser. And so I'm looking for a couple of things. At what point did they put the phones down and do the phones come back out or did the phones ever go away? Now, I know some people take notes on their phone. I know, but I'm really aware of that. I mean, because I can tell somebody that's scrolling through social, you know, I mean, that's a different vibe than somebody who's engaged and kind of. Mm -hmm. So I think the phones are a big indicator. And then right or wrong, I like to see how many people leave. And at what point do they leave? And do they come back? So, uh I really watch that, you know? I mean, the worst thing is to be a lunchtime speaker when people have had 17 glasses of iced tea and then you get up there and start talking. So yeah, sometimes people will leave and then they come back and that I get. Uh, sometimes they're trying to get to the valet parking stand before everybody else. 
But at what moment did everybody decide getting to the valet parking stand was important? And that can be good feedback to, to a speaker. So those are probably when you say, how do I read the room? Those are the things that I'm, oh, and then there's a third thing. What happens to the audience when you're finished? Do they, you know, and is there a break? Is there another speaker? There's some variables here, but let's say there's a break. Do they rush to the stage? Do they follow you? Do they try to figure out where you went? Are they engaged? And then if I'm on site, the other thing I like is what questions are they asking? Is everybody asking the same question? Is that something you could have answered in the presentation? What resonated and why are people standing here waiting in line to talk to this person? So all those are things that help me better help a client understand what to expect when they engage the speaker. All fantastic points. Fantastic points. So I'll leave you with two questions. I know you've got a lot going on and I appreciate you carving out the time today. So far, I'm going to tempt fate a little bit here. We haven't heard any fire alarms. So hopefully yeah, we're- Yeah, I know. In, I don't think the fire on. alarm happened. I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was not terribly far from you, but I was teaching in downtown Austin and we had a fire alarm go off. I want to say it was at a Marriott property, but I don't remember. Like halfway through a session, we're like, okay, well, I guess we're going to talk off the sidewalk. <laughs> we don't really have an option here. Um, would love to ask about how people can- certainly contact with you. We'll get to that in just a second, but just to kind of bring this full circle for, and I'll I'll let you choose your adventure, either for new speakers who are looking to build that recognition in that career or for seasonal speakers that there might, it's not seasonal. I'm sorry. Seasoned speakers that there's might be one or two or three. I only only bit Michael Reddington in the summer. That's it. He's seasonal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then I wish you were booking me full time because my other person who might be me booked me in Cleveland next week and Omaha the week after. So you can work on. You you need to work on your seasonality, Michael. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I, I dropped the ball big time on that one. Um, but for and either or, new speakers looking to build recognition or seasoned speakers looking to do a few things just to dial in their craft, what would be your biggest recommendations? I'm going to go with with new speakers because I think it's okay. the hardest for them. Um, it's hard. It is a hard business to break into. It's hard to get the attention of a bureau. Um, It is really hard. And I think you have to find an avenue. You have to find a community. You have to be strategic. I worked for the great Ross Perot for many, many years. And uh, when he ran EDS, and one of his sayings was, you only get one chance to make a first impression. I'll tell you what doesn't make a good first impression on me is when a brand new speaker I've never heard of asked to connect on LinkedIn. And I say, yes. And the next thing you know, they're selling. They're sending me their deck. They're wanting to send me their videos. And I get it. They're hustling. I get it. But I've been doing this for 25 years. I cannot evaluate and, and, and become friends with every single new speaker. It's just not going to happen. You got to find a more meaningful connection. Does that new speaker know you? Do you believe in that speaker? And do you believe enough to send me an email saying, Gail, I know you're inundated all day long, but take a look at this person. Find somebody to make a warm introduction because it's very off-putting and it makes me want to just go right back to that connection and say, disconnect. So that's not encouraging, but it's reality. So I think the message there is find a more meaningful way to connect. And when I say community, Maybe you join NSA, the National Speakers Association. Maybe you go to boot camp with the Impact 11 group and become a part of their community. But I know for sure that having a community is going to tie you in and improve your chances as a new speaker for making those meaningful connections, which will allow you to get on the stages that you want to be on. All great points. Thank you very much. 
I've got a, a friend here. I'm in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. And over the holidays, I had a breakfast with a guy who's been a CEO and done a great job with his recruiting company. And now he's branching out into speaking and I'll make sure that I forward this to him and he can listen to that because those are very important yeah. ideas for people to hear. So we know that people should not be messaging you on LinkedIn. And after you say, yes, say, by the way, this is why I'm awesome. Thank you for accepting my recommendation. Um, but for people who are listening on either side, either organizations that say when we're looking for great speakers, Gail and her team are the people we probably need to talk to, or maybe speakers that are at some point in their career and want to connect. What is the best way for people to connect with you and your team? Well, I'd love for you to follow us on social media, GDA Speakers. And the GDA stands for Gail Davis and Associates Speakers, GDA Speakers. Uh, I am very proud of our marketing team. I'm very proud of their consistency. We try to really humanize it. If a speaker is in our office on a visit, you're going to see a picture of the speaker with our team. When we're on site, you're going to see pictures of us on site. I think one of our best marketing pieces, if if you don't follow us for anything else, and I don't even know if we post this on social, but we send our clients a piece called coming to a stage near you. And being a former event planner, I think it's the most valuable piece we do because it shows who's out there, who's trending, where they're going to be. Possibly they're going to be in your city and you could reach out to your contact at GDA and maybe you could even go and preview them. So, um, Following us on social, our website, GDA Speakers, is a good starting point for a broad overview. And if you're an existing client, you already know you have portal access, which gives you everything. Um, so I think, is that the answer to your question? I think that's the best way. I appreciate it. No, the answer is, how do you want people to find you? So <laughs> that's yeah, perfect. On social or the And website. I'll make sure that... I and I'll make sure that I include all of those links in the show notes Perfect. as well. So people have them right in front of them. Perfect. Gail, thank you so very much. This was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you coming up with Don. Thank you. You asked great questions and it was very energizing. So I'll look forward to um, seeing it. Yeah. Or I, hearing it yeah. or listening to it. All of the above. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'll let you okay. know, obviously, as soon as it goes live. But thank you so much. It was great to see you. And I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you. Take care. Gail, thank you for a wonderful conversation. I appreciate you sharing your time on what I know was a busy day. And thank you for sharing all of those experiences and wisdom with us. I truly appreciate it. Your thoughts on the power of listening in the world of speaking, authenticity, flexibility, clarity and feedback and so much more were so important. And honestly, I even love the line that frustrations often really are what we feel when we run into unmet expectations. Thank you for sharing all of that and so much more. I truly enjoyed the conversation. And for everybody that listened to the conversation, thank you so much for being here today and listening. And hopefully you took plenty of notes and now have new perspectives based on listening to what Gail had to share today as well. Thank you. Before we go, we want to make sure we thank our sponsors on the way out. Of course, we have Humantel. Please head over to humantel.com and enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off all of their online self-paced best-in-class training to understand what emotions people are feeling, when and why they're likely changing based on accurately reading their facial expressions and body language. I've done it. I recommend it. Head over to humantel.com and enter the code in case of 25. While you're online, please head over to certifiedinterviewer.com and check out the International Association of Interviewers. That's where you can learn more about their educational opportunities online and in person, their membership benefits, their network opportunities and so much more. That's also where you'll be able to find out more about the certified forensic interviewer designation. Do you or anyone on your team qualify? Is it right for you or your team in your journey currently? And what does it take to sit for, pass, and maintain the designation? All that and more at certifiedinterviewer.com. And please head over to Inquasive.com. That's where you'll learn more about all of the programs that we are asked to customize and facilitate for our clients around the world when they reach out and ask us to put together events for their leadership team, for their sales teams, for their HR teams and beyond, centered around teaching them how to apply strategic and ethical observation and persuasion techniques that encourage people to share sensitive information under vulnerable circumstances and in the face of consequences. If you're enjoying these conversations about 
about listening and communication and you'd like to know more about the discipline listening method, where it comes from, the research involved, the examples and how to apply it, you can buy a copy of the book, The Disciplined Listening Method on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Before you go, please take a quick moment to like the show, share the show, comment on the show, subscribe to the show. Please let us know your feedback. What would you love to hear more or less of? We appreciate you taking the time to listen and watch. We'd love to know your thoughts. We can give you more of what you would like to see and hear. Thank you again for being here today. Gail, thank you all for sharing your time with us today. I truly appreciate it. Stay safe, take care of each other, and we'll see you next time. 